When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Be the best and you gotta pay a little price. If you want it bad enough, you gotta do a little extra things to get it. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co host, Jordan Rich. How are we doing? Jordan, it's good to be back with you. Nice to see you, man. Yes, it's been a while. Uh, you've been busy, of course. We have a lot of ground to cover here. Going back to the owners' meetings, Jordan, I saw some of the stuff. Of course, I saw the stories that you posted on the Athletic App website, taking everybody inside what happened, the owners' meetings, putting it in great context, as you've been doing throughout the offseason. But, Jordan, I know how much fun you have lurking. <laughs> and I saw some of the posts on Twitter and Instagram, that had to be a lurker's heaven. I mean, you got candid shots of executives. You were in the Odell Beckham mix. I mean, you had to be in your glory, Jordan. Oh, that's my favorite thing of the year. <laughs> like, do you know how when you look at like apartments, when you're doing apartment finder or whatever, <laughs> and there's a rating at the very bottom of the page that tells you about like how walkable the neighborhood is. And it's like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> 90 Walker's paradise. Right. This league meetings for me is 100 lurkers paradise, lurkers paradise. <laughs> <laughs> right because for, yes. for somebody who hasn't been there i mean i i don't know um, i'm not sure where exactly this one was but it's it's a very spread out it's not like one building where everybody's constituted uh there's a lot of open air areas a lot of places where you can sit and relax and enjoy the scenery and everything so you never know who's going to come by you or, or or who you might you know be watching or whatever it may be right whatever uh whatever you're looking for that day yeah, the combine's really helpful for lurking, but it's like a very messy type of lurking where it's huge crowds everywhere and lots of chaos in between um, the the meetings that you take and the interviews that you do. And obviously this one's a little different too because Sean McVay and Les Snead go to this because they're a part of committees and they vote on different things and the Rams had a rule change proposal that did not get passed this year, but um, kind of cool, got some cool momentum uh, and I'll kind of take you guys through that process here in a minute. But um, yeah, this is at the Biltmore in Phoenix, and they they rotate between uh, massively fancy uh, golf clubs, whether in, in Phoenix <laughs> or in Florida. Um, personally, so last year I took a red eye, and as I got off the red eye to the Breakers in Palm Beach, super fancy, crazy resort um, where they do something to the water there, where it's like more blue than the water in the surrounding areas. <laughs> so that's a little weird. But got off a red eye and immediately was, you know, interviewing, you know, George Patton, uh, the, the Broncos GM and or excuse me, George Payton. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I think of the, the the puns from the movie Patton. Yeah, anyway. Sure. Um, and uh, then, you know, interviewing people for that, um, you know, Rams catalyst story that I did last year, Brandon Bean and, and you know, the 
all the various teams that are, you know, the Dolphins guys, like all the teams that are doing the the sort of all in model and, and it, you know, the, some who are still in that window of that model right now and some who had epically collapsed, as we saw with the Broncos last year. Um, and so you basically you just start you just go from from morning till night Um at the Biltmore, I prefer it there um, because a I am familiar with the area, having grown up in Phoenix. Not in that area. That's <laughs> a long way away from where right. I grew up, right. uh, socioeconomically speaking. But um, in terms of just the the familiarity with it and um, beautiful weather, you work outside the whole time. Um, if you're smart, some people go to the media room. That's also fine, but that's tucked away from everything. So what I do is I just I decide, hey, everyone probably needs coffee, and so uh, all of the executives, coaches, GMs, uh, owners, various entourage members, because they bring a lot of support staff as well. Um, they all need to come by this one coffee shop that's casually stationed outside by the pool slash lounge slash uh, outdoor revolving bar area. Oh, of course. Um, slash cabana slash yeah. cabana area. And so for me, it's like, yeah, I'll just sort of tuck myself back away here and uh, say hi to the people as I see the people. And and obviously it's a win-win for me because there's the coffee is right there. So um, yeah, really, really productive series of, uh, of days, uh, not just for for me, selfishly speaking, but for our team at the Athletic, we sent 33 reporters, and wow. I know we all got something super valuable out of it. And it's interesting too because you also get to talk very candidly with the people who are making decisions for other teams. Everybody gathers and congregates in the same areas. the The dinner spots around that Biltmore area are really well known, and and you kind of know where to be and where to go. And certainly you know where to be and where to go after hours as well. So it's it's a lot of really good conversations. All the league people are there as well. Goodell goes. Um, and what's interesting about the session is I didn't sort of look at it in this framing for the longest time, but I do now in that it's sort of a big lobbying session. So if you think about it like politics, they're trying to get these rules, bylaws, a.k.a. Mm. these laws passed for the league. And the the final vote comes on the very last day um, when everybody has scheduled their tea time. And so everybody <laughs> wants to get the vote done quickly so that they can make their tea time. And that's why it always ends early. And the first two days are sort of spent floating these different rules proposals and giving it your best pitch. But then you sort of if you're an executive, for example, Kevin Demoff and Les Sneed, you're popping into various other spaces throughout the entire week, other meetings through the entire next couple of days to sort of pitch your case. And what I think was really interesting about the situation is with the Rams, they had the roughing the passer make it to make it reviewable. That was their proposal. And they really brought some extensive research with them that their nerds nest had done about scoring probability increase rates in, in, in when a foul such as that is called on a drive. And they, they said that their analytics team had found that um, it increases scoring probability. So field goal or touchdown um, by 40% on a drive in which that is called. Wow. And so you compare that to like what we've always talked about on this podcast as when an explosive pass play um, it increases the scoring rate it, or it doubles the scoring probability on a drive. So this not quite that significant in terms of the change, but still pretty significant. That's a number that coaches can understand. That's a number that people who um, aren't necessarily in the analytics world as some of those owners and coaches GMs are not 
Um, and, and what was really interesting is the strategy use. It's like, oh, Les, you come to this one because yeah. this guy, your buddies with this guy from way back <laughs> and you can be in his ear on this. Or Kevin, you take Sean to this one because Sean will get up on his soapbox and start talking like, and go and like, <laughs> you know, Stan just kind of there, like all this stuff. <laughs> like, it just, it's like, Tony, you go to this one because this you've talked with this guy about it. And it's really cool to It was cool to sort of see how really it is very much like uh, lobbying in, in certain regards, except for, um, you know, on a much, you know, less critical to the human condition scale um, as, as is politics. And so it's, it's really, it, that part was fascinating and they didn't get it passed, but they did, they started out with pretty much no momentum on the, on the proposal and they ended the week with like pretty significant momentum. So these things mm. sort of get tabled sometimes, sometimes they'll get, Shot down, that's just like a whole, the NFL loves a routine. So it's like, it'll get shot down the first year, then right. it'll get tabled the next year, which means it's not really getting <laughs> shot down, but it's not really like getting voted. So you get right. tabled the next year. And then maybe the ne year after that, it gets passed. And and so okay. I think they were happy with the, with the momentum. And then obviously they all, this is the one time a year where I get all of them on the record. So Kevin Demont right. on the record, Sean McVay on the record, um, Les Snead on the record, Tony Pasteur's on the record. This is the one time that that happens uh, all in one place through the year. And so um, that was pretty significant as well. And certainly they they discussed a lot about the off season. Um, a lot of it we already have been talking about, Rich, but um, definitely, definitely good to um, get them speaking, um, using, you know, sort of using us as a channel to directly speak to the fans on that one. For sure. Yeah. And, and I know it gets a, it gets a lot of attention and uh, understandably so when, when those people speak directly, but I have to say, Jordan, and this is a, a hat tip to all of our friends who listen uh, to this podcast and also those who subscribe to the athletic, hopefully those two circles are pretty co-centric, co-centric. Um, hopefully they go together. Yes. Um, <laughs> we got and it. what I, what I was trying to say there before I stumbled over my words was that anybody who's listened here, anybody who's read your work, uh, over the past few months has uh, seen that coming pretty much. And and I know it gets a lot of attention when they stand up and say it. Kevin Demoff's in a very nice letter. I thought we haven't, we haven't addressed that. Uh, we haven't been on, on an episode since then, uh, you know, sent a letter that uh, went out to, I, I guess, season ticket holders, or maybe it went wider than that, but uh, kind of explaining what the Rams thought process was during this off season and why they decided to do what they did very much in line with what you've been telling us, Jordan, for the past uh, few months here about their uh, plans for 2023 and going into 2020. And what this offseason means and and uh, all of these things. So, uh, Jordan, first of all, congratulations on having your your, your work uh, validated, I guess you could say in that in that way, not that you needed it. Uh, but let's look. We're, we're at an interesting time right now because we, we've got the bulk of, of free agency behind us. We've got the start of the league year behind us. Those owners meetings, like you said, now behind us. The draft is now coming up. So we're in that little bit of that squishy middle, I guess you would say, where uh, maybe there's not a lot happening right now. But there's always, as as you like to say, Jordan, the ducks, uh, the ducks under the water. There's there's always a lot of movement that, that we can't see. The Rams roster, when you look at it right now, there's a lot of holes. Mm -hmm. They don't have, do they have a special teamer at this point? I don't know. They do not. They have 40. <laughs> they have exactly as last, my last count, they have exactly 45 players on their roster. Wow. And they have to get to 90. Um, and they have no specialists, which again, mm -hmm. like they weren't going to have special, any specialists. So, you know, there's a certain like tongue in cheek. If you've been following along, like there's a certain <laughs> tongue in cheek bit to that a little bit, because like, yes, you were ready for it. It doesn't make it 
seem any better, even if you were prepared for it. Um, but they, this was always going to be something they looked at, at the draft and then the free college free agent class and then veteran cuts after that. But yeah, it is when you do p- print it out on paper, although I would not go to the Rams.com because it's not up to date there. But when you do sort of print out the official roster on paper and you look at it, you're like, wow, this is pretty short, man. This is, uh, lots of, lots of gaps. Yeah. <laughs> So, so before we dig, because I know we want to talk a little bit about the draft uh, in this episode before we, um, you know, dig into it. I know you're going to dig into it more next week with a special guest. So that's awesome. Uh, but l- let's step back and take a bigger picture look, because, you know, I, I do a couple radio interviews. I'm sure you hear from people around the country and and uh, the, the narrative that is, that is presented to me is, oh, my goodness, this is just the Rams are going to be terrible. Uh, this is a tanking team. They're going to be they're going for the number one pick. And and I understand I'm not ridiculing any of those people. I think uh, sometimes those people talk to me. They're very smart and I, I appreciate talking to them, but I'm not sure that they understand at least the way that the Rams are approaching this. Uh, they are not looking at being a tank team. They did not bring Sean McVay back. They did not bring Aaron Donald back. They did not bring Matthew Stafford back, Cooper Cup back in, in order to be a tank team. But Jordan, can you kind of I know, I know you've been doing this kind of ad nauseum <laughs> for no, the last okay. little Let's while get here into it. I, I yeah, have a but, little but, time but, off so I'm feeling refreshed it's well, fine. good yeah yeah so so in, in the context but on the other hand they, they did suffer a lot of losses this mm-hmm. is not the same team as last year it's it's going to be a very very different looking team so what would you say just because we have the ability to present it to the mass audience here I mean what what do you say to those people who think that that's what's going to happen that this is a team that's playing for a top five draft pick next year and that this is just a total write-off year. What what is the counter ar- argument to that, or what is maybe the best case scenario if you're looking at it from that perspective? I would say, and we love to say this on this podcast, is that multiple things can be true at the same time. Yes, we're back from hiatus, everybody, and we're throwing it at you right away. Yes. First episode back. Playing multiple the things can be true. Uh, yeah, I feel like yeah. This is this is that song. This is Black by Pearl Jam. Like <laughs> this is hey! multiple things can be true at the same yes. time. Okay, right. so that's we love to say that we mean it too. It's it's because it, it is correct. Um, so the Rams could be like absolute garbage next year. They could be, and if for that to be the case, um, they'd have to have a worse year probably probably health wise than they did last year, which to me is not possible um, unless yeah. like I was set, talking to somebody about this on Twitter, unless like a comet hits their trailers <laughs> in thousand Oaks, like right. then I would say, Oh yeah, this could be worse than last mm-hmm. year. Um, and it can always get worse guys. But as you know, if you've, again, if you've been reading the coverage and the, some of the enterprise feature stories after the fact, um, really hard to get, uh, physically worse, A, but also mentally and emotionally worse than mm. where they were at last year. And I think that when people say they're not going to be good or they're tanking, they don't factor in that very, very real variable of the mental emotional factor, which is led and goes through their head coach. And I, I, so, so yes, they could be atrocious. And in that, if, if that is the case, you hope that Sean McVay is better equipped to handle something like that than he was last year, because he was not equipped at all last year. And um, by the end of the season, I think all, you know, people will tell you and, and have said, you know, it was admirable the way that he 
pulled himself out of that space through the re- through the course of the season. And so you mm-hmm. hope that that positive trajectory, and I do believe that that will be the case, that the po- positive trajectory remains. Everything that I've seen and heard uh, indicates that. And so in that regard, um, you know, you're not, you're not as you have to be more of a disaster to be better equipped for a top five pick. Um, And if you're a top five pick at that point, maybe you can position yourself to trade up. If you're a top nine, as we've seen this year, if you're top nine pick top 10 pick, maybe you're better equipped to pool more resources together to trade up, to force the issue of, Hey, you're not tanking for the maybe the the star quarterback Caleb Williams. Maybe you're not necessarily tanking for him, but hey, you had another disaster this year, and so now, how do you make the most out of that disaster? And maybe you trade up for the 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 player who is the best in your board in, in that regard. But outside of that scenario, this is a team that is going to really try like hell to not be as much of a disaster. Um, significantly less of a disaster than it was last year. And and health will have a lot to do with that. But again, the mental emotional side of it is this is a group that has to win games. Um, it's a, it's a group led by a person who has to win games and it's an organization that has to win in this market. And so I think that those, all of those things are factors here and Knowing that that is a truth doesn't mean that it will happen. That's what that's where we get into the comp- complexity and the nuance of this situation. But I will tell you, and you know, I hope by this point, entering year four on this beat, that you guys, you know, have have a little faith in in me and and the stuff that goes on behind the scenes and the the conversations. Like I'm telling you, it is they believe it. Like they are so right. earnest and genuine in a way that honestly kind of freaked me out at first when I was talking to some people in the organization about this way back in uh in February when it's like no, we think we're going to be better than people think we are. Um we right. are we have no expectations on us. Um we can be free. We can be um you know, we're financially clearing the books. So in, in terms of setting up, what is it between 55 million and 65 million in salary cap space in 2024, a full mm-hmm. slate of picks, including their first rounder, they're clearing their financial sort of their cash debt um, in order to clear those books for 2024. And um, there's like this sort of freeing sense permeating through the space that is, hey, nobody expects us to do anything. So why not just say, you know, and I am directly quoting, fuck it and just go and, and, and right. see what we can do. And so that's like, and, and when I hear that, you know, way, again, way back in February, I'm sitting there and I'm like, um, are you serious? <laughs> like, are you okay? Have you seen this <laughs> roster? You know, you just, you, you, you guys have just been outlining kind of the moves to come moving Jalen, cutting Leonard, Bobby is gone. Um, all these different things. And so you sit there for a minute and you're like, bro really <laughs> and yeah. and you and and it but it's it's the it's earnest like it's genuine they do feel like they are going to be better than people think they will be again will that happen we don't know yet i don't know yet i'm not going to say definitively either way because the roster is in shambles right now yeah. but i also will say that this is the best that sean McVay's felt about his coaching staff in a little while um and at least for the last year 
And this is the best that the organization has felt about sort of where it is setting itself up to go. Um, because there was all of this understanding that for five years, what their entire ethos was, was get to the Super Bowl. And they did have a setback year, I would call it, in the course of that window, their setback mm-hmm. year being 2019. And that setback year sort of set up so many different catalysts for what they were ultimately going to do that got them to that Super Bowl win, including trading for the quarterback, including overhauling the defense midseason, like including a scheme change, including Sean McVay, two scheme changes on the defensive side and the offensive side. Ultimately, when Stafford came in, they moved to this like new era, Sean McVay drop back passing offense. And so I think you're going to see some patterns here. And I've written this in my column over at theathletic.com twice really now. Um, They have the luxury of continuity. So this is a group that will work in patterns and they they have already shown you what they're going to do. The last five years showed you the way that they reset and then move forward kind of on the fly, which is why like rebuild isn't really the right word. It's kind of a lazy word, although I get it. If people want to use it, that's fine. Uh, Remodel is also not quite right reset is not quite right. Like setup seems a little bit more if they had a better, you know, if they've filled out more of their roster setup year seems like the right word to use, but it's, it is crazy, Rich. Like you talk to these people who are in charge of this team and to a, to a letter, it is all very earnest and genuine. We think we are going to be better than people think we will be. And there's really not panic or, I mean, frankly, Les Sneed seems to sort of like really enjoy the chaos <laughs> of like <laughs> having to problem solve out of this one and everything right. you know about Les and Tony and Kevin um, really uh, sort of plays to that. Um, and and they feel that and they, they know they have Sean and Sean McVay at his best is in my mind. And I think in a lot of people's minds, one of the best coaches in the league. Mm-hmm. And so when you have people functioning, you know, without all this like blockage and disaster and disarray, then I think they want to see, Hey, we all kind of hit rock bottom already. It can't get worse than that. I mean, again, the comet, but like, it can't get worse (laughs) than that. So I think there's almost like a freedom to, um, understanding the way forward. And again, like multiple things being true, they couldn't break the whole thing down anyway. And a couple of them argued like that wouldn't have made sense. Tony and Kevin both argued that wouldn't have really made sense for them anyway, because what in history, what total breakdown has then resulted in a Super Bowl quickly? Um, mm. They said in baseball, they brought up the, um, uh, what was it? Was it the Bonilla? The, one, uh, the Bonilla situation where okay. um, I'm trying to remember which team he was on. Now I'm going to be. It's fine if I get yelled at for this right. fans. You should. Right. When it's he like signed the big off, contract. They won the World Series and then they, no, not that one. Uh, the, when they won the World it was like the Marlins or something. They uh-huh. won the World Series and then blew it all up. And it right. was rough for the players who experienced it. But then you could argue, I guess, it probably isn't the Marlins. Then. I, I'm i I'm a disaster. Yeah, like Basically, this a team and I now I'm going to kick myself all day for not having this top of head. But they both use this example where like a baseball team won the World Series and blew it up. And then um, all the players were irate about it and it right. sucked, but then right. they were really good, really fast afterward. But then in football, it's not necessarily the same application. And you have to make these tough emotional decisions if you're the franchise 
to um, better set your organization up for success. And that was sort of something that they both cited. And then, and then it was like, they don't think, yes, they are the re- they set themselves up to never be able to blow the, the entire thing up by handing out the contracts to Matthew Cooper and Aaron, um, who, to reiterate, has a new, no trade clause, just to reiterate that. <laughs> um, and so they sort of set themselves up for that, uh, right. for never being able to completely blow it up. Um, in that regard, they also, in setting those contracts up, definitely thought they would be better in that framing than they were. Um, like they didn't predict the disaster of 2022. Nobody, nobody did. They thought they would still be in contention in 2022. They very quickly realized they weren't um, going to be because catastrophe after catastrophe started happening. And then Sean McVay started spiraling out. And then um, it was just a whole confluence of circumstance and uh, personal adversity. And, uh, you know, you guys know all of this, right? And so now it's like, all right, you can't blow it up, even though you had kept this core together. So now you sort of go back to your roots that Sean did in 2017, when he's like, all right, who are my landmark players? Who are my foundation players? And let's, and Aaron Donald was one of them. And um, you know, at the time, I think they were, they were trying to also build around like what would play to Jared's strengths and, and all of those things. Um, how can we scheme to our advantage? How can we build this roster with complementary players to our advantage, but also understanding that there's a level of coaching and development that has to take place in order to supplement those stars, those core contracts and a lot of the coaching and development was missing this last year, frankly. So I think that played into it as well. And I think that's part of the reason why they are so genuine and serious is because they're inside their process and they can maybe already see how different it is now than when they started the offseason last year. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
yeah, it's it, it it is it's difficult to to talk here because I feel like you know people might parse out certain things that we're saying, and so I appreciate the way that you presented it there and saying that we don't know what's going to happen here. And and I certainly echo that. I am not at all saying that the Rams are going to be above five hundred, that they're going to be a playoff team, that they're going to win the division. I'm not saying that at all. But I do think there's a certain element of I think people it was the Marlins. Sorry, Rich. I think the, it was the, the Marlins, Marlins had that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know it was where Bonilla. Seven. Yeah. Yeah, okay, continue. I'm sorry. Yeah. His son interns for the Rams. So or he's not he's not an intern. Right? His son works for them. He's a he's an yeah. assistant. Yeah. Which I uh, learned blew my mind. Yeah. It blew my mind. I, I learned that for the first I've seen I've seen him around, didn't know yeah. who he was. I mean, I knew who he was. I didn't connect the last names. Okay. And so that blew my mind. Anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I do remember that they they and, and the, them being kind of a small market team. I mean, they they tore it all down right away, and and yeah, the fans were kind of like, "What the heck?" And I'm sure the players were too, as as you said. So, uh, yeah, definitely, I, I I do recall that uh, as being a kind of a, a weird team building. I was model. five, so <laughs> thanks, Jordan. Appreciate that. Uh, moving on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So here's the way that I look at it. And again, this is not a, I'm not trying to present a rosy picture or anything like that. But the, the one thing that I think people aren't looking at necessarily with the Rams is the offense has to get better and again. M- meteor comet <laughs> scenario <laughs> off the table. You and I, I don't need to tell Rams fans this, but I, I sometimes feel like it's maybe not viewed from the outside in terms of how big of a disaster this was when you when you lose your quarterback, when you don't have a running game for half the season, when you lose your receiver and the second receiver you brought in for whatever reason just doesn't fit in, doesn't give you the production that you need. Your offensive line is an unmitigated disaster. You have fourth stringers as starters. Your coaching staff isn't cohesive, is not doing the things that you wanted it to do the guys that you brought in just not fitting in and and doing what you every level of that was an utter and complete disaster and i'm not saying that they're going to come back and have the number one offense in the nfl but they're bringing back enough of those pieces and they're bringing back hopefully enough health and they're bringing back some improved coaching to where the level of that should rise significantly, whether it gets them back to where they were in 2017, 2018. I don't know. I can't, I can't promise that, but I I think, and I'm I'm not speaking for you, Jordan, certainly not speaking for anybody in the Rams, but I think if you're looking at the path to success for 2023, you have to look at it as this offense is going to, you know, almost like the USC model, of of 2022 everybody looked at usc and was like well look at their great offense but they don't have any defense well they ended up going uh 11 and 2 or, or whatever it was uh in it they held it together and I, and I almost see that scenario kind of playing out with the rams i don't know what's going to happen with this defense there's a lot of holes that they have to fill there's a lot of players who are going to have to step up it doesn't mean that they can't uh but it's just they're going to have to prove it to us before before it happens so i i think the path to success here is you're going to have to win a lot of 31 to 28 games or, or you're going to have to at least plan uh, to, to win games that way. And I think it's possible. I don't know whether it's probable. I don't know whether that's the most likely scenario, uh, but I definitely do see a scenario where that can happen. And I think a lot of people are just looking at the Rams saying, oh, that that roster is garbage. Uh, you know, there's no they don't have a chance. 
there's still a lot on that offensive side that that can get stuff done. And if they can upgrade that coaching staff, or I shouldn't say upgrade, but if they can have the kind of cohesion there that, that mm-hmm. they're, they've been looking for, there's certainly some possibilities there. But Jordan, the question that I have for you, and that we can make a little bit of a pivot here because I think it makes sense, is when I look at the Rams' you know recent draft history, uh, they have not necessarily drafted for immediate need or, or at least immediate contribution. Right. They've they've brought in some guys, whether it was Joe Noteboom or Tutu Atwell or Terrell Lewis or whoever it was, not with the thought that these guys aren't going to contribute, but with the idea that our roster's already strong enough. These guys are, you know, third, second, third, fourth round picks. Um we're not counting on them. If they do, great. If they don't, fine. We we're we're covered. How much do you think that changes this year? Because ultimately, they also have their eyes on 2024. And and that is the year that they're looking at to kind of ramp back up a little bit. Do you do you anticipate a little bit of a change? I don't know whether you want to say change in strategy, change in mindset, the way that they're going to approach some of those picks this year, just because there are so many holes, or do they just basically look at it the way they always have? Well, you, they definitely cannot look at it the way that they always have because their stakes are just higher on this draft. And they kind of, they don't like to put pressure, that type of pressure on themselves or their personnel, but, um, it, because that in, introduces maybe those subconscious biases that Les Need is always trying to reverse engineer. But I think it's okay in this regard to understand the relevance and importance in, in, in regards to where the roster construction is at, because again, they have 45 players on this roster and you look at the holes on defense and they, it's not just that they're missing players in depth positions or whatever. They are missing players, starting caliber players at premium positions. So on defense that includes pass rush, whether it's coming from Aaron Donald or from an outside pass rusher, and corner. And so those are the positions that the Rams have shown and and according to their overall philosophical model are willing to invest in. On the other side of the ball, it is receiver slash mismatch pass catching tight end and quarterback. Um, and so that is interesting to me in terms of how that could shift their draft process, because you can't you can basically, you could, if you wanted to, you could go best player available at every pick and you're probably filling a roster hole on this team. But what I think is interesting is you could also sort of narrow that lens a little bit to best player available at a premium position. And I am including quarterback in that because I think they will draft a backup or at least look really, really hard at their options and they are looking really, really hard at, their, at what their options might be uh, in the draft and, and studying the sort of second and third tiers of this class, as well as some of the veterans who are still available. Um, and, and obviously you wait, if you're going to sign someone, you wait till after the draft, cause that's when they're cheaper and all of that. But I'm including quarterback, like any of those four premium positions, if any of those four and slash like four and a half, cause if you include tight end, particularly with this draft class, um, if any of those four and a half positions are available at your pick points and it matches best player available with, again, especially a premium pick, um, a premium position, I mean, then I think that sort of changes their math a little bit because no, they, they aren't always drafting for need. I think you could absolutely argue that last year, the Logan breast pick, they were drafting for need. 
Um, I think that you could, in 2017, you could also make an argument that Gerald Everett and Cooper Cup, I think that those are a little bit more needs-based because if Sean McVay was going to want to, wanted to get a load of 11 personnel going and then kind of yeah. change the, the league's trajectory in that regard after he did. And I think, so you could see drafting for need and when need met best player available in their minds. Um, I think that some of the ways that I would hope in that in their sphere they've discussed at least that I hope they've discussed is how when you're so top heavy and you're only drafting complementary players then you're also sort of justifying it because you're like oh I'm going to draft for special teams and I think in some ways that has been a mistake for them um, and I don't think uh, mistake is the wrong word. I just think it was bar- maybe barking up the wrong tree there. Mm-hmm. And Joji Camillus was really big about drafting special teamers. And uh, B- Bonamega was really big about drafting special teamers. And I think Bones Faso was really big about drafting special teamers, but way late in the process, like late right. in the draft. And and right. he, he found some some real gems who contributed as as players. Nick Scott being a great example of this. But I, I also think that maybe when you look at when you're so top heavy as they had been previously in 2020, basically 2020 through 2022, and you're drafting um, for special like a, a player who has to also contribute on special teams because that's the only room you have left on your roster at that point. Um, you kind of then start to make some maybe some some misses, some more misses. Um, because it's hard to stick on a roster as a special teamer, as a core special teamer. Um, I think you you see the, what was it, the draft class two years ago, where, you know, Jacob Harris comes to mind as an example of a player who doesn't work out in that regard. And is and Robert Rochelle hasn't been able to develop in the way that he needs to and needs to take a step forward, where the only role that's there for them to truly develop is on special teams. And there's some some health that went into that as well. But if you can't get any reps where you're supposed to be trying to crack the actual field um, and you're instead sort of relegated to a core four, not only is your position on the team very different than the one that you need to develop into if you are going to be that high upside player, you can't because there's no room above you to grow. You stop at a certain point because there are tenured players ahead of you and it's very top heavy in that regard. So I think that's when you see the opposite of this, you see a player like Michael Hoyt, when they get rid of Terrell Lewis and Justin Hollins um, and Michael Hoyt is sort of thrust into the situation that he was in at outside linebacker converting from defensive lineman. That's when you see what players might be capable of. And I think that might be part of, I, I don't want to say a problem again, because they won a Super Bowl with those tenured top heavy players. Right. But at the same time, if you really need to develop and you got to you got to give your guys a chance and you got to give your draft personnel a chance. What I find very interesting is the difference in what can happen to the overall perceived, quote unquote, success of your draft class when their growth opportunity stops at level two instead of level five. And when they only can really crack the field on special teams, and then that changes the way they practice, that changes the meetings that they're in. It changes everything about their careers when they are not, quote unquote, cracking the top of of that roster and getting actual playing time with whether it's on offense or on defense. All of this to say, I am really curious and I, I, I get a hunch. I mean, they have to draft or 
get UDFAs for special teams. They don't have any specialists. Like that's <laughs> I'm I'm removing those guys from the equation and putting right. them aside, right? Like as much like Sean McVay and the Rams have done. Um <laughs> putting Hey-o. them aside, right? <laughs> but like, okay, so so basically um I'm talking about the the field unit, like right. the um the coverage units, the kickoff teams, those guys, those players who are made up of players who in some cases if they can scratch the f- see the field and there is a need like Nick Scott, you can see how high they can fly essentially. Um, but in other cases, again, like Jacob Harris, and I would argue Terrell Burgess fell prey to this as well. Um, and, and some other, some other players that, you know, are no longer on this roster or didn't quite work out for them or the draft class, you know, Robert Rochelle really, I mean, you, you don't really get a chance to, to see what, you know, tools he has or what he really could do. Um, And then you kind of see, I wonder too, in that regard is how hard is that as a player is, oh, I don't see a role for me. I don't see anything I can compete for. So I guess I'm just here, you know, mentally, that's got to be tough too, um, as a young person as well. So I think all of this is super interesting. And all of this goes to say, Aside from those three specialists, and uh, maybe four, if they have a receiver who could turn kicks or Tutu Atwell does it, or I don't know. Um, outside of those three specific kicker, punter, long snapper, I don't necessarily see the Rams again going to this met- methodology where they are drafting with specifically special teams in mind. Like right. I had said in previous podcasts, you'd see Joe DeCamellis at the draft house. He'd have a sheet of paper and he'd have specific guys. But now there's when you're doing that at that time, there's really no shot that they're going to see the field in that draft class because they're not only are they middle round to late round picks, but also there's too many guys ahead of them already. Now there's nobody. I mean, on offense, you still kind of run into that, but on defense, there is, there is nobody. I mean, it's Aaron Donald, Ernest Jones, you know, Jordan Fuller um, in terms of guys with meaningful experience, uh, really excited about Kobe Durant. Um, excited about Hoyt and that's like it. Yeah. And so there's so much opportunity for them to, to really hone in on that combination of premium position and best player available um, without casting maybe too wide of a net again, going for immediate and, and rookie contract tangible productivity. Um, So that might also mean a running back. Um, because that's tangible productivity on a cheap deal. Um, a mismatch receiver, pass catching tight end, tangible productivity. Um, a, 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 a number one, a number one corner. They are without a number one corner at this point. Um, Kobe Durant, I would say, is like their one, except I can see him playing a lot of the star in the slot. So you don't really say that that right. And so like they're without a an outside a premier outside corner, and so. That's tangible production. Um, a pass rusher, sacks and TFLs, like that, uh, a, a, a dynamic interior defensive lineman who can set up Aaron Donald. That technically, even though it's coming via ripple effect, that technically is a premium position because it's tangible production. And I think if they look at, okay, let's not fall into uh, this gray area of will they or won't they crack the, the starting lineup, um, and, and draft guys who they know they need to have contributing quickly um, and producing numbers, producing tangibly for them in a variety of, of, of those roles that m- most make the difference on the roster, um, then, yeah, absolutely. I can see them changing that strategy. And like, uh, 
you know, then get a guy who can bang touchbacks every kickoff. And then you're less worried about that. <laughs> you know, get a guy who's got a, right. a decent hit rate and actually kicks the ball high off the tee. Um, then, you know, you've got, and that's not a Matt Gay. That's a Sam Sloman reference, by the way, for those right. who, who weren't here for our, our kicker saga in uh, 2020 <laughs> that, that we covered in depth, which was kind of amazing and fun that we got to cover that so closely, but um, became a, just a, a shit show at a certain point um, before they found Matt Gay, like those types of, of things. It's like, okay, can you, can you maintain on in that phase and be consistent in that phase and then really work on finding these guys in these premium positions. And you can really do that at a lot of these positions that are deep in the draft. You can really do that. I think. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be the most interesting draft, uh, you know, since since the Rams have have come back here. And uh, I should say we're recording this on Tuesday morning. Uh, if anybody has not yet seen the uh, story that Jordan posted uh, this morning on the Athletic App website, you should definitely check that out. I, I love what you did there, Jordan, in kind of presenting. You almost looked at it kind of holistically in terms of uh, looking at the different approaches that they could take uh, through throughout the different rounds. Uh, I thought that was a really unique and, and interesting way of of doing that. So I, I would definitely encourage everybody to uh to check that out and uh, i know we're gonna go in depth more next week and jordan's gonna have a special guest on to uh to dig into some of this stuff do you think and and here's here's my last question on on this because i'm and i'm sure you'll you'll dig into this a little bit uh next week but the, the, this huge number of of picks right it seems to coincide nicely with well they need a lot of players so they have a lot of picks but I'm also going, it's less Sneed. Like, well, I forget what year it was. Was it 20, maybe it's 2018 or 2019 where they didn't make a single pick where they were slotted to pick? And at one point, they traded a pick and then later traded back for the same pick. So I, I think we would all be a little bit naive if we sat here and said, well, they're just going to make all the picks that they have in order because they need a lot of players. Do you get a sense at all of uh, is this a situation where they could look to you even mentioned the possibility of you know maybe you trade up or do you even trade back at some point? Do you trade into next year? How do you think is that going to be status quo for less need in terms of, you know, trade or less and looking to to move these picks or or how do you think that they approach that with the knowledge that they have a lot of roster spots that they need to fill here? I will say this right now, and I need the fan base to hear me when I say this. If they trade up, it was not Les Snead's decision. Like that, that whole thing, like he, oh, he, okay. he said publicly and like he finally, I think he finally was just like, you know, F it. Uh, I'm just going to say this out loud. Like when he was doing his on the record with us, he went through the entire efficiency model that he personally prefers in how trades back are way more efficient, generally speaking, than trades up. And you even saw this last year, kind of proof of it when they traded uh, they traded up for Kyron Williams. And unfortunately for Kyron, between being hurt and then when he was healthy, you know, Cam Akers sort of made his resurgence. Like it still wasn't really, I mean, long-term, he could be fantastic for them. And I, I think he's a great kid and, and probably will be awesome for them. But like, in the time when they needed him, that still wasn't an efficient move because they gave up more to get a player who didn't really see the field for them much, if at all, um, and and then was kind of relegated into a third down role when he did. And so I think that like you're even seeing, you know, in real time, 
those types of, uh, of decisions that are kind of like, you know, I think that there are some, there's always going to be functional debate within that building. And, but I do think that Les Snead will always prefer, specifically Les Snead will always prefer to trade back if he is going to stay in a pick. Again, I, I agree with you. I think it'd be surprising if we see them stand pat at 36 and 69. Um, 36 especially feels like a good place to trade back because it's, it's, um, it's like you're going to probably see a run on one position group. I'm predicting tight end at the end of the first round, which means that there's a good chance that a player they really like will be gone by 36. And so unless the player that they really fell in love with, which I think they could really, in my opinion, I really see them matching themselves to a guy like Tucker Craft, for example, who is like kind of like Tyler Higby in a younger body. Like it's just kind of right. like, you know, with a little, maybe a little bit more yak uh, ability and like, I think that those, I think that that's sort of like maybe some, but I think, you know, if there's a run on a position like tight end at the end of the first round um, and guys, uh, you know, like they're the top four or five, you know, um, Darnell Washington, Dalton Kincaid will be gone. Luke Musgrave will probably be gone. Uh, you know, like all these, all these top guys, cause you know, they're, pre- they're predicting four or five go in the first second two rounds wow. that, which is crazy. Four could even go in the first. And so I think five could even go in the first Daniel Jeremiah thinks that. And so um, if there's a run at the end of the round, which is usually when a position like that, if it's dominant in the draft, it, it, it would start to have a run by 36. You're kind of like, Oh, well, might as well trade back. And then at that point, because of the earlier run, you've got now a sort of overflow of other pos- positions that you're interested in where you have players drafted high on your board. So it gives you pretty good position. So I think that's a, a good one to trade back from. Um, so, and I would be surprised if, if uh, Les and, com- and company stay pat at either of those two picks. Um but we'll see. I think, you know, there's some there's some really good corners in this draft. Uh, it's it's also based on the intel they get from from other teams um, that can influence their decision um, in terms of them thinking what other teams might do. So, yeah, we're going to have to see. But it's going to be uh, it's it's going to be fun. They're doing the again. They're doing a draft house this year. Yes. Uh, location still undisclosed, but excited to bring you some coverage from there. That was a lot of fun last year um in in terms of and the year before but especially last year because we could all sort of see how their process worked and and maybe and get a little bit more of an inside look at how the coaches contributed to the process and especially the udfa process and how the coaches the assistant coaches are super important in doing that um and and that was fun but yeah it's going to start to gear up again and then um and then they will draft and then they will maybe sign a couple of veteran free agents and a bunch of UDFAs to continue to plug the gaps. Um, and then they will keep trying to trade Allen Robinson. <laughs> um, and right. although it does sound like what one thing I wanted to bring up too, before we go, Rich, I know we got to go, but they, I do also believe that I have been pounding the table for this since last year, that I think now more than ever, they're aware that if he does stay on the roster, they need to change his role. Um, they need to become more efficient with how they diversify their concepts for receivers not named Cooper Cup. And they need to be more efficient in placing other players in high probability situations. And that's also something I think Cooper would probably, based on history, be super unselfish about. 
Um, it, it wouldn't mean that he's getting the ball less. It just means you're mixing up the different types of things that you do and you're not creating an unsustainability where it's one player um, who defenses account for. You want to be as multiple as possible. Right. So I think that um, with Allen working him inside earlier, getting him more high probability as a big bodied, sure handed target, especially taking up space and, and occupying defenders in the middle of the field, that clears up a lot of stuff on the perimeter that they can do. And Cooper Cup, you know, for, for a long time, Rams fans have always known this. Cooper knows this. He can be an X. He can run X concepts. Let him be an X. Let him run X concepts. So those types of things, Van Jefferson on the outside, finally going to be healthy. Those types of things, I think having somebody who occupies attention in the middle of the field, um, all that can do is help um, the rest of the the rest of the layers of the offense. So I think they're, they're maybe, I think, a little bit more um, honest with themselves about that than at times they were last year. We've heard comments from Sean about this. Um, I think having a new coordinator also helps with that. Um, so we're, we're going to see how it goes. And they, you know, I, I would imagine he's going to be on the trade block all the way until he isn't. So, um, but, but at the same time, you know, it's an organization where generally like they've, this isn't weird, you know, they don't make it weird that, you know, the player has requested permission to seek a trade. Like, you saw it with the Ramsey situation. There was like this mutuality right. between the entire in the entire process that like they didn't make it weird. So I think all that's going to be fine. But um, yeah, something to continue to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, it's one thing that's always impressed me about this this group. And it, when I say the group, I mean both the uh, management and players. Is that uh, nothing turns. Um, uh, contentious. Uh, it, it's it's very rare for that to happen, even in those situations that could be really awkward or could be really contentious. They find a way to kind of, uh, you know, make it as smooth as possible. So that that's not just on the Rams. That's on the uh, the players and the agents to to have that kind of communication too. It's always it's always been impressive to me. So um, and uh, I'm sure it's it's good for them also. Uh, Jordan, you're going to be all over this. I can't wait to see the draft house. Uh, based on they they have to raise the bar every year. I guess they're going to have a private island out uh, in, the, in the Channel Islands or something to uh, to take over. But uh, n- nobody better uh, than Jordan to chronicle all of this. Awesome uh, draft coverage already from Jordan, our, our beast from uh, Dane Brugler out uh, covering all of the, uh, the picks that you can possibly imagine. Over the next couple of weeks, there's just going to be a, a, a huge amount of, of draft coverage. And we really appreciate everybody who uh, follows along already. You already know that. Uh, if you're not yet on board, look, I mean, we, we've we been away for... Don't know what co- to say at this point. I yeah. mean, we've been... I, I honestly <laughs> thought, Jordan, you know, we took a little bit of a break. We come back. There's no way. There's no way that they are going to still allow us to do this. But yet... <laughs> <laughs> I checked and you can still go to theathletic.com slash 11 personnel sign up right now and get Jordan's favorite thing in the entire world, which is what a great discount. You guys, every single time, rich, they still are letting us do this. It's That's unbelievable. They're still letting us do this. Every single time you sign up to the athletic through the 11 personnel podcast, you get my favorite thing in the world, which is a great discount guys. Happy to be back. Um, hope everyone is doing great. Check in with me. If you haven't check in with me on Twitter, check in with me, uh, on Instagram. I'm a little bit more active there these days. Uh, and check in with me in the comments of stories. Um, always love the questions, always love the comments. And I hope you guys are all taking care of yourselves. I hope you're all taking care of each other. 
As always, stay caffeinated, stay hydrated. Catch you next time.